We live in an age of information overload, ever-accelerating technologies, and split-second learning. Citizens, learners, and workers today are required to continuously reskill, upskill, and new skill to keep up with this new pace. How might we slow down in this sped-up society to make learning a more human experience? That is the opening introduction to the book Slow Learning, and the question we're going to look to answer slowly in this podcast series. I am Lauren Anders Brown, your host for this episode. You're listening to How Humans E-Learn Together, discussing the impact human-connected interactive experiences have on the human capacity to learn. This is a podcast for trainers, educators, learning and development professionals, coaches, and mentors, the education technology community, and anyone who wants to leverage new ways to reach lifelong learners, and to look at what others in the e-learning industry are doing to make that happen. Today, I'm speaking with Delphine Delagata. Hi, Lauren. Delphine is one of the curators and contributors to the book, Slow Learning. So mindful, when your mind is full, is basically when we are consumed by our thoughts of the past and our worries about the future. While being mindful, which is one word, is when we're aware, present, in the moment, and accepting what is happening without judgment. She works for the International Training Center of the International Labor Organization. With a title like that, I'm going to allow Delphine to introduce herself. Thanks, Lauren. So yes, that is definitely a mouthful. The, <laughs> <laughs> the International Training Center of the International Labor Organization, or ITCILO might be easier for us to say, is basically the training branch of the ILO. Uh, we are the learning and training provider for all things related to decent work and social justice. I am an associate program officer in the Learning Innovation Program. And in this program, uh, we tackle all things related to innovative learning technologies, methodologies, and communication for the future of work. So we're based here in Turin, Italy, in the north of Italy. And although slow is not really part of our mission, I would say the campus that we're on has a bit of a slow quality. We're on this kind of lush green campus along the River Po. There are birds and squirrels running around. So it's, it's quite a, a slower rhythm, I would say, compared to the upbeat city that we're in. The atmosphere you just described, Delphine, was that at all an inspiration to some of the things that are going on in Turin, for example, like the slow food movement and, and your book. Absolutely. So if someone's not familiar with the slow food movement, it actually started back in the 1980s. Uh, a man by the name of Carlo Petrini and a group of activists demonstrated in the Spanish steppes in Rome, Italy, where a McDonald's was actually supposed to open. And this kind of kicked off this opposition to fast food and the switch over to slow food. I think Italian culture is inherently slow when it comes to food and the slow food movement kind of paved the way for this good, clean, fair mission. And Piemonte, Piedmont, the region that Turin is actually in in Italy, 
has become kind of the slow food headquarters of this movement. And so since the ITC ILO is located in Turin, we thought, how could this be applied to learning? Now, if you look up slow learning on Google right now, you'll get a lot of responses linked to how some learners think or develop knowledge at a slower rate than his or her peers. And we wanted to change that narrative because slow learning can also be about making a conscious decision to spend more time discussing topics, reflecting, and digging deeper. So we, we started off with this with the idea, and we did a brainstorming session with a lot of slow advocates, and this eventually led to the book. But this was a bit of the context of, of where we got our ideas for, for this book. You know, Delphine, you just brought me back to my time in Italy when I studied in university. And my very first morning going down before I was going to go to my class, I went to the cafe just below where I was living. And I asked for uh, il caffè a portare. And they looked at me like I had three heads because I, I asked for a coffee to go. And and they didn't understand. I have repeated myself a second time. I was I thought maybe I, my pronunciation was wrong or I just wasn't clear. And um, nope, they heard me correctly the second time. And I was served a coffee in a plastic cup because that was all they had. Because the idea of taking a coffee to go just did not exist then. You sat down in the morning and you had your coffee and you took in everything that happened in, in those moments. And as we know, coffee in Italy... It, it, it goes by quite quickly. So actually taking that little moment to pause every morning kind of taught me something and to a different way to kind of start my day and not, not always have to be doing and multitasking a couple things at the same time, right? Absolutely. And to-go cups still do not exist in Italy, I can confirm. <laughs> and, and here actually at, at work, I, when I first moved to Italy as well, I had a similar experience is I personally don't don't drink coffee. So when they would say, do you want an espresso? I would say, no, thank you. And they would kind of freeze and be like, uh, oh, okay, I guess I'll go by myself. And what I wasn't realizing at the time is that I was also kind of closing off an opportunity, as you said, to socialize, to get to know that person better. Um, so since then, I still don't drink Italian espresso, surprisingly, but I've learned to take a decaf and <laughs> be open to that moment of pause, as you said. And, and socialization. Yeah, or it's just even inviting you to the table. You, you, whether you have a, an espresso or not is another question, but it's, it's taking that, that moment to pause, which I think is something that we haven't, has not been instilled in our society um, as of late. And I think we're kind of, you know, finding through this book, getting back to. So let's talk about the book. It mentions a Bill of Rights, which as an American, I love. Um, and I'd like to share for our audience and I'm going to, I'll say each of, each of the bills. And, um, if you don't mind just kind of briefly expanding on each of the rights, uh, and, and how you want people to take from the book, I'm going to say each of the rights. And if you don't mind just expanding on each one for me. Sounds good. One focus on direction, not destination. So number one is all about realizing that your learning journey is not linear it's important to have an objective, but also to focus on the journey without kind of getting trapped in that I'll be, I'll be happy when syndrome. So grow through what you go through. Ah, I like that. Um, two, raise your hand. So number two is an invitation to stay curious. I find in our society today, we value perhaps answers 
over questions. But I find that questions in reality are, I would say, a higher demonstration of your knowledge and wisdom. Being able to craft a complex question allows for creative thinking and innovation to unleash. So don't be afraid to raise your hand. Okay, number three, learn at your own pace. I think we all know that comparison can sometimes be toxic. So learning at your own pace is all about finding your own rhythm and putting yourself first as a learner, because in the end, you are the one seeking to acquire this new knowledge. It's kind of like self-love, but for the brain. And so learning at your own pace is about being better than you were yesterday, but also inviting that own rhythm to set in and giving yourself the time you need to acquire that new knowledge. Which is something that we weren't always afforded in school, right? For sure. And I think sometimes society prizes this kind of acceleration, this bite-sized learning approach, and everyone has their own speed at which they let knowledge seep in. So I think allowing for those conscious pauses are fundamental. So four is unplug, which is a bit of an irony since we're talking about how e-learning is used to connect people. But um, can you explain what you mean by unplug? So I think it's important to stress that everyone has the right to disconnect, whether we're talking about learning or working. And sometimes a digital detox can allow what we're learning, perhaps in an e-learning or online format, to seep in further. What I mean by this sometimes is also to avoid distraction, to be very intentional with our learning, because sometimes the fact that it's digital and online can mean that your phone is going off, that you're getting notifications. So even if you are connected in a way, make sure you are intentional about what you're learning and give yourself time to chew on thoughts to make sense of information. So it's okay to keep using technology, but you know, not to overuse it. I like that. Yeah, be intentional and be conscious, I think is the takeaway there. Five, change your learning path and mind. So here, it's all about keeping the brain agile. In the end, I mean, you are the one who decides what you are going to learn. So think also outside of your comfort zone and don't be afraid to let things go. Uh, one common quote about innovation is that it can be about either doing things differently or doing different things. So giving that space to change direction and also change your mind. Number six, which kind of reminds me of number four, but but I'd love to hear the difference. Uh, take a break. So I think here we're focusing more on informal learning. Sometimes spontaneous moments, like as you mentioned earlier, coffee breaks or lunch breaks or exercise breaks can allow ideas to form unconsciously. So here it's all about the right to rest. Sometimes the best ideas come when we're not actively thinking about them. I know personally, I commute to and from work by bike. And those moments for me are sacred because in the morning, it allows me to kind of set the pace for the day, um, kind of review what's to come and let my mind wander. And on the way home, it's about kind of processing what went right, what went wrong, and letting go of things that can no longer serve me. And maybe also ideas pop up of things that I was 
thinking of during the day, didn't find a solution to, but suddenly I get a breakthrough on the bike ride home. So taking a break can actually be productive. Yeah. And this is especially, I find as a creative person, this is especially important to be able to take a break because oftentimes that is how your next inspiration or your next idea comes. So uh, I think that one's really important. I know for me, seven, make mistakes. So here I often think about um, something that my boss, Tom Wambeka in the Learning Innovation Program often says, is that fail is actually the first attempt in learning. So F-A-I-L is the first attempt in learning. And here it's all about trying, taking risks and not being afraid to, to make a mistake because when we fail, we can fail again, but we might also fail better. I think those are kind of lessons in resilience. So not being afraid um, to try and allowing that space for growth, I think is super, super important and something I really value at, at work, but also on, on my learning journey. I like that. Uh, number eight, leave it unfinished. I don't know how much I agree with this one, so you, you definitely need to convince me of it. <laughs> so for sure, I mean, procrastination, I think, has a pretty negative connotation in our society. But I also think that perfection is a myth. In the end, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And of course, I mean, don't neglect your deadlines and any kind of time management skills. But I think it's also important to allocate time to let thoughts simmer. I think it's much more um, meaningful to have a impactful work in progress rather than this kind of rushed final product. So I think here we're not saying, of course, like drop everything and give up, but allow enough time for an idea, for a thought to develop enough to have meaning when it's produced and final. Almost like drop the perfectionism. Yeah, that could be another way of interpreting leave it unfinished. And I think also it's really important to get feedback and other ideas from other people um, because what they might think is perfect for you might be different. So, you know, everything has is part of the journey, as kind of said in the first one. So allowing for every step to be considered kind of a meaningful product and not only kind of rushing to that final step. All right. Nine. Unlearn and forget. Here, I think an important quote is that the illiterate of the future are not those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. So here it's really, op really important to stay open and adaptive. Again, as I said earlier, you have control of what knowledge stays or leaves your brain. So sometimes it's, it's when you feel it's time to let something go. Then, then it's okay, and you make space for for new learnings, new thoughts, new uh, trains of thought. So that's what unlearn and forget is all about. And our final one, ten, slow down. Ten encapsulates, I would say, what the other nine are about. I mean, we've all heard about the tortoise and the hare and how slow and steady win the race. So here, it's all about deaccelerating consciously. So knowing when is the right time to slow down and how sometimes slowing down can lead you to better results. There's a, a quote in, in French, actually, that says, reculer pour mieux sauter, which means to back up, to jump better. So I think 
10 is really important to look at the bigger picture and realize where you're going and where you can allow space to you know, simmer on thoughts and process information. Also, as someone who owns a turtle, I can say that my turtle's pretty fast. And so all of that understanding that a turtle is always slow, that reiterates to me that assumptions are dangerous. I cannot leave him unattended on his own in the garden or he will just completely run off. Um, and so I do wish he would slow down a bit sometimes. Uh. <laughs> this actually makes me think when I was in school, I was a part of choir for quite some time. And often they would use the duck analogy as something that you see on the top of the water as kind of slow and serene, but underneath is pedaling madly to keep going forward. So it's this kind of, yeah, this, this, these stark contrasts that allow you to move forward. What may seem as slow and steady on the outside in reality can be actually quite quick and frantic on the inside. So everyone has their way. Every creature, I would say, has their own way of, of moving. And yeah, tortoises alike can also be quite quick. <laughs> Absolutely. And appearances are deceiving, you know. In the book, there's lots of different essays and pieces of art, which I actually really loved, uh, that coordinated and went with some of the essays. And I really loved the punctuated artistry essay that you wrote, Delphine, mostly because I use lots of commas and clearly not enough semicolons in my life because I'll worry I'll use them imperfectly. Could you share a little bit about your essay with us? So as, as you mentioned, the kind of second portion of the book after the Bill of Rights are a series of essays from slow advocates that we had um, during the brainstorming session and beyond in the creation of the book. And each contributing author had the question, what does slow learning mean to you? And they received an image. And these images are quite compelling graphics. They were from a, a competition based here in Turin called Poster Heroes that's launched every year on a different social impact topic. And they have a huge network of artists throughout the world. And that year, the topic actually was mindful or mindful. And so each author received one of these images to kind of spark their inspiration on what slow learning means to them. And mine in particular was a, it was a comma, and then it was a semicolon turned into kind of a final graduated student. So it was kind of this analogy of how learning can, slow learning can lead to uh, a big impact. And the essay actually travels back uh, a few years in, in my life to a small town called Cremona, which is near Milan in the north of Italy. And Cremona is quite famous for the Stradivarius violin. Have you heard of the Stradivarius violin? I took the violin when I was younger and I actually had a copy of one, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. Those are precious instruments. <laughs> <laughs> not, um, not, not an original. It was a copy to be fair, but yeah, I still have it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Keep that, hold that tight. Um, because actually, so Antonio Stradivari was the violin maker, um, in this small town, um, in Cremona in like the 17th, 18th century. So quite a ways back. And he created violins and these instruments are still, you know, alive and, and well in the world of, of music. And just to give an idea, I mean, the most recent one, I think that went on auction went off for $20 million. So they're quite 
expensive, precious instruments. And in this small town, there is the International School of Violin Making, which is continuing this tradition of um, this craft. And it's a magical, magical place. I actually spent a year teaching English in this school. It was my first job out of college. And I was mesmerized by this conscious construction of time that you felt in those workshops. You had this smell of oil varnish and maple shavings. There were all these wood benches with this soft light where each student would be working with their piece of wood to transform it into a violin. And in addition, there would be kind of the violin master, the liutaio, it says in Italian, that would be passing from bench to bench, giving guidance and suggestions to each student. I mean, this is a wild concept if you're so used to maybe a more standard education because they're making an instrument out of a piece of wood. It's, I mean, it's physics, it's musicality, it's woodcraft all mixed into one. So that really inspired the, the essay on, on slow learning. And it's actually where I brought the learning innovation program of the ITC ILO to visit and where we had some of the initial brainstorming sessions on the final book. Um, so it's really a wonderful, magical place inside this this workshop that has, you know, one of the few 400-year-old crafts that is still alive and well. Like machines still hasn't replaced uh, this process. So it was really a, an invitation to contemplate like a comma or study like a semicolon. And it still is a reminder to myself to sometimes speak slower and allow for uh, a slower rhythm in learning and in, in life in general. So other than those few tools that you just shared, are there any others that you practice and that you use in your daily life? So yeah, at the end of the uh, book, there are a series of, of 10 tools that can be used for both learning and, and living in general. And the 10th one is actually meditation. And I, I don't do it daily. <laughs> um, perhaps I, I should, but I definitely use this in moments of stress to kind of reset the nervous system and, and focus on the now. And it's really incredible what just 5, 10, 15 minutes of you know a guided meditation or a breathwork exercise can do for your mental and physical health. Um, I mean, studies have shown how meditation can lower anxiety levels, improve sleep, uh, improve the attention span, and overall boost mental and physical health. So I think meditation is is one of those tools that if you know introduced already in, in schools and in education programs can lead to more healthy learners in, in the future. And it's an invitation to use both in personal and professional life. We're actually launching what we call slow retreats here at the ITC ILO, which are opportunities for teams to come together and, and slow down and doing a mixture of kind of the um, tools that are shared at the end of the book and, and allowing for teams to kind of back up to jump better, as I mentioned earlier, and and do this collectively in a, in a slower rhythm. I, I agree with you. I find meditation to be really helpful. And I even do a, a weekly session on Zoom. So, you know, being able to 
even though it's a very solitary event, being able to kind of A, carve out the time and B, know that I'm not trying to do this thing alone because meditation is actually quite hard when you have a busy mind. Um, but it, I find it to be really useful to kind of help reset every week and to be able to share that experience online, which I mean, we're all just kind of have our eyes closed and we're all listening to the same kind of guided process together. But it it really makes a difference, I'd say, in slowing down the start of my week. For anyone after listening to this podcast that might be interested in slow peer e-learning, are there any good examples that our listeners could engage with to get started with this? I think if you are uh, an educator, facilitator, trainer of any sort, or, or a learner yourself, there's one tool that I really love that's in the book, and it's called the, the Socratic Walk. It might sound very um, high-end, but in reality, it's, it's quite simple. Uh, basically, one person talks and walks while their peer actively listens and asks some specific questions while also walking. So it's basically an application of, of critical thinking, again, building off of both online and offline approaches because it can be done in person or it can be done if you're linked up in a breakout room on Zoom with one other person as long as you're able to move and walk. Um, and it, it trains you to actively listen to what the person is saying. You're not trying to get anything out of them. They usually we focus on a specific topic and it trains you to listen and just let them go through their train of thought. And it's it's a really meaningful experience. I The first time I came in contact with it, I was actually a, a participant. And the person that I was connected with, I had never spoken before, never spoken to before. And she actually worked um, in, in the same organization. I had just never had the chance to, to speak with her. And, and since then, I feel like I have uh, a heightened knowledge about her career, her ambitions, her personal life. And it built a deeper connection in just those 30 minute, uh, just that 30 minute exchange. So it really flexes your empathy muscle, allows you uh, to gain knowledge from another person in uh, a kind of critical way almost um, because you're giving that space to listen and to just build that that connection. And, and this can be used in, in any course. I mean, based on the topic of uh, the learning or e-learning um, opportunity, you can modify it to narrow down on a specific experience, specific question, and, and then just invite for that moment of, of peer-to-peer exchange. This episode is going to be a lot to learn slowly. Thank you, Delphine. And if you're interested in reading the book and seeing the beautiful artwork included in it, you can get yourself a copy by heading over to the blog that features the book on the Gamoteca website at gamoteca.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us regarding today's episode, or there is something you'd like to learn about on a future episode, send me an email, lauren at gamoteca.com. That's all for this episode on how humans e-learn together, supported by Gamoteca. Until next time, goodbye. Ciao.